eating meatless, uh, like Beyond Meats and Impossible yeah. Burgers and all that, is changing their DNA enough that they are no longer Homo sapiens, which means they cannot receive the the blessings of Jesus Christ. And then it, it was a plot by Satan, and I I had a good hearty laugh at that one. <laughs> are at the next episode of Real Life Alphabetically. Thank you for joining us. This will be episode D. We have not recorded for about a month. Uh, I, I do want to just put a little, I don't know if it's a disclaimer, starts with D. We, the first three episodes we made, there was not quite a global pandemic um, occurring at that point. I think episode C was like March 3rd that we recorded that. So, like, we were starting to understand but didn't really want to talk. In fact, I think I even, I think we talked about coronavirus for literally six seconds and I edited it out because this is a fun place. But with that said, um, that's not going to be something we talk about a lot here. This is this is not a, you know, corona cast. This is more of a, a good times place and a bad times place and a real life place even in this new world. What do you think about that, Malika? I think that sounds great. All I hear about is Corona. It's, it's, it is a relevant topic. We don't need to address it. We have nothing relevant to say on it that you haven't heard before. You're the medical professional, and if you're telling me that, that we have nothing relevant to say, I firmly believe it. <laughs> but remember, go to CNN.com for all of your medical opinions. <laughs> CNN, Fox News... But actually, you should go to reliable sources of information like the CDC's website. Johns Hopkins has a daily update. There's several other very good news sources. New York Times and The Atlantic have free. Um, all the coronavirus data and articles are free to everyone. So, so don't expect shit from us. <laughs> we know nothing. We, we know nothing. We I know we can laugh. Yeah. Yeah. We are self-isolated. Yes. Yes. I don't, okay. think I, I don't think I've left my house. I think it's been 16 days since I've left my house. It was the last time with me? Oh, no, I went to work the Monday after you oh, okay. to Kevin and Kyle's, and then that's it. Wow, you're really committed. I leave the house, like, basically every day, always to go for a walk. Oh. In, like, abandoned streets. Well, I mean, that's fair. I did walk 100 feet to the, to the uh, lake. And just kind of stand there. And then there were too many people, so I left. Yeah. For two people who don't want to talk about the coronavirus, we're talking about it a lot. They're not going to hear any of this anyway. Um, They're going to hear pieces of it, actually. It's going to be very confusing. (laughs) Just intersperse, like, Corona, run! (laughs) I haven't left my house in 16 days. No, it'll be all. And it's actually just middle. like agoraphobia. This episode is fully agoraphobia. We'll but be like, talking it, about <laughs> fucking drugs or something, and it'll be like I have so the worst trip. Days. Like the worst trip of your life, where you're just like stuck in this loop, and can't leave. I dropped acid once three years ago, and I haven't <laughs> left my house since. <laughs> don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs>
And if you do, I don't want to hear about it. Fair. I'm like the chill parent. <laughs> I'm the not chill parent. You're the doctor. I'll like analyze your experience with you, then we'll talk about a, a plan for moving forward. We'll do some shared decision making. Write it in your dream journal, the, the acid trip that you had. <laughs> it sounds like you have daddy issues, basically. Yeah, always. I mean, who does? Let's be honest. I don't know. I think we both get along with our fathers pretty well. We both have our problems with them, but not. Yeah. I mean, I love my father, but I also have known who he is in a way that most people don't know their parents for a lot longer than than most people. Like, I've known my father as an actual human man for a lot longer than people realize that their parents are real people. Does that make sense? I understand what you're saying. I feel like there's a point in every person's life where they realize their parents were are human beings. What like, was that so, point for you? Put put an put an age on it. Put, try to pin it down for me. Because this is good. This isn't even one of our. We're not even at our topics yet. <laughs> conversation. I I think it was when I was 24 and my mom was going through some really hard mental health stuff, and I was like oh, she's probably struggled with this for a long time, and I just now see it for what it is. That and then I checked out. Yeah. <laughs> and no, then I was like, I cannot help you. You need professional help. This isn't like, a, let's keep it in the family. I'm just feeling sad. This is like, we need to go get help because this is not normal, and this is destroying you. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And it is, I think, very healthy. And, and I think a lot of people – kind of are in that vein, maybe a bit earlier, maybe like even earlier in their 20s, late teens for some people. Um, For me, I do not have a conscious memory of a time where I thought my parents were anything but normally flawed human beings. I cannot remember, even in my earliest memories, ever idealizing them. Not that I don't love them and didn't look up to them in, in various respects and things like that, but... I mean, they got divorced when I was two. Um, they, Not that that was showing how human they are, but I also saw a lot more intimate of times with each of them because they had shared custody. So, like, I would have, I would see them equal amounts, but when I would be with them, it was a lot more personal times in their lives. They were going through a divorce. They were going, you know, rebuilding their lives. They were, you know, for my dad, I've seen him date for 30 years like I I am familiar with um, a lot more about my parents than most people probably are with their parents there's a lot of uh, therapists out there that could probably write a few treatises on what impact that's had on me Uh, we're not (laughs) there but uh, it's definitely been a different experience than a lot of people that I've, I've talked to about it yeah it's very different also, I think you were probably quite a perceptive child, whereas I I think my perception developed much later on in terms of how people are. If you recall, I didn't think people in college had sex. Until <laughs> I, I still remember that. Well into 21, and I was like, wait, people are doing that? That seems wrong. <laughs> like, I thought that's like other That's places. something adults do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I, I've i always been called an old soul, which I think kind of is, is the weird title of kind of what you're describing. Yeah. I don't know what good it's done for me, but. 
All right. To the actual point, um, we will. You already sent me your list. I sent you my list. Have you looked at it yet? I have not. You need to try. Okay. All right. I'm going to click on yours. <laughs> okay. So we have some some overlap here. We have at least one overlap, and I will say that um, two of your six, I had on my initial list but got erased. So we almost had three overlap. Uh, wow. I clearly was not thinking outside the box. Which no, is okay. no, no, no. I, I think you and I I think again, every one of our overlaps is gonna be for very different reasons as as has kind of proven to be true thus far. But um yeah, I'm I'm excited. So let's I'll I'll let you what do you want to talk about? What what looks good to you? I would love you to tell me about your experiences with Disney. Why is this on your list? Oh, Malavika, I'm so glad you asked. Listen, listen up. Listen up, kids. <laughs> listen, listen close, children. No. Disney is a evil conglomeration. They own, and for one reason and one reason alone, I, you can talk about they own Marvel, they own Pixar, they own all that stuff. I 100% agree. They, they're still putting out good stuff as far as I'm concerned. Pixar, I'm excited to watch this weekend Onward, which is going up on Disney Plus, um, the, which I think was Pixar. What was it called? Endgame, uh, the most recent Marvel movie. I thought it was great. You know, they're, they're still putting out quality work there. The reason I have Disney on my list is the same reason I have disappointment on my list because the topics were both going to lead to the same place. Disney bought Star Wars, and I will never forgive them for it. I'm a Star Wars super fan here, and this this is a longer thread, I think, than you realize. I loved Force Awakens, I hated Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker was like the craziest fever dream movie I've ever watched, where they put three yeah. plots, of, or three <laughs> movie plots into one movie. That was crazy. I'm not upset with Disney for that. I'm upset that they didn't just give it to J.J. Abrams and say, make all three, instead of having Rian Johnson do one and after a J.J. Abrams and then hated it and then had J.J. Abrams come back. Whatever. That's how the movie business goes sometimes. When Disney bought Star Wars, they erased my childhood from me, and I will never forgive them. Star Wars, after... Uh, let's see, the Return of the Jedi came out in 1982. And for about a decade after that, it was still very popular. It had toys. You know, obviously the merchandise game was still strong even into the early 90s. But there wasn't anything new. There were no new movies. They weren't doing Star Wars shows like they are now. There, You know, there was no new Star Wars content. And then they started making these, um, what well, was called the Expanded Universe. Mm, okay. They, and really it got popular when one of my favorite authors ever, Timothy Zahn, wrote this trilogy of books introducing a ton of new characters, uh, but two in particular that I'm going to mention here because uh, it, it's part of why I feel like Disney erased my childhood. 
they came up with uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's a, a villain character that is basically, he doesn't have force powers, he's not a crazy wizard, he's not any of that. He's somebody that studies a culture, studies their art and their history, and from it learns their tactics. He understands, like, the, the basis of a culture and their militaristic style and their history and all that, and he uses that to just be better than them. It's not magic, it's not, you know, deus ex machina, anything like that. It's just a guy that is really super smart and knows how to win. He ended up getting, you know, the trilogy with books as him as the villain was the first time since Darth Vader that really was like, oh, like, there's real stakes in, in this content. There is, this is bad stuff. He, he could actually beat them. He is better than them. Him and then uh, the character of Mara Jade who, spoiler alert, uh, in that fictional universe, the expanded universe, ends up being Luke Skywalker's wife after a period. Now, when I was a kid, I loved to read. I still love to read, but I, I was a voracious reader. I mean, I was reading anything I could get my hands on. And at the thrift store, I found a, a, <laughs> this hardback Star Wars book. Um, I think it was their dark saber or eye jedi it wasn't a very good one if, if i'm being honest but like six-year-old me couldn't get enough of it so for the next i don't know decade i was buying star wars novels basically monthly i owned boxes of star wars novels just because they put out so many after it, it became popular but when disney bought star wars they took about 20 years worth of, of what was canon and what was specifically mapped out and, and specifically made by these different authors, but overarching all fit together into a cohesive universe, they said, oh, yeah, none of that's canon. Um, just basically delete all of that, and now the new stuff that we put out is going to be the new canon. And for me that spent over a decade like consuming basically hundreds of Star Wars novels and really like enveloping myself in this universe. It still is a, like strangely a little bit painful that that in the grand scheme of, you know, what is canon for Star Wars, that all that, all the things that I know, all the characters, all the, you know, great and terrible things that happen in that literary universe, they don't exist. I also read the Timothy Zahn series and I loved it. I love the Thrawn trilogy. I think it's like a very good piece of writing. I think it captures the complexity that you wish the Star Wars movies could have done. But like, you know, it's just like a, that's like the benefit of writing books, right? You can capture a little bit more complexity and backstory and thought process of the characters. And you just can't do that as well in movies. So I think when they first bought it, I honestly just thought they were just going to make the Thrawn trilogy. Into Me too. The next. And I was 100% happy. I was like, that was a great plot line. I think it did a better job than sometimes Disney jo does of, like, actually creating good villains. Yep. And, and like you said, I think Thrawn is a, a different villain and an interesting villain. I think more so than the one we had in, yeah. like, this newest trilogy. Who's Which one? To... Kylo Ren or <laughs> Snoke, who is a clone in a tank in the third one, which Emperor Palpatine is in a disgusting, like, disfigured clone yeah, body? Yeah, it's, it's actually just Palpatine. You're right. It's like the same freaking villain. Right. <laughs> no, they think about it. It's the Palpatine it's like, saga more than it's the Skywalker saga. He did it all. Yeah, so it, it did disappoint me. But, like, you know, it's 
it's a fun universe to be in. I, I just wish they had made the, the... I don't know why they didn't, because there's no way the rights to the books were going to be that expensive, but I feel like it's one of those. They own the rights to the books. Yeah, so I don't know why they didn't do it. That was a great plot, and it was also very well regarded by the fan base, I think, like, in general. Um, it is it is universally accepted by anyone that's delved into the, into the extended universe. The Thrawn trilogy is the best pieces of literature in it. Yeah, and it, honestly, it's just a good book. It's just yeah. a good story. It's got a good villain. I I remember. Well, I don't want to give too much away. Honestly, if you're listening to this, you should go and read it. It's yeah. just a good story. If you have any knowledge of Star Wars, it's not. Maybe if you're a super fan of the movies, you would find it hard to suspend your belief that yeah. it's canon. But honestly, it's real good. It's First a real one good. Is- First one is called Heir to the Empire. And I think, like, Leia gets a lot of airtime in it, and they really build her out, so she's not just, like, you know, some hot princess who gets lucky. I don't know. Right. Like, I, she's, like, smart. She's a smart woman. She's and, a key, like, a, she yeah. is a key contributor in that trilogy, for sure. Yeah, maybe I should read it. I haven't read it in, like, a couple of years. It's very good. Um, I do want to give one caveat, or two caveats, rather. And this was almost like going back and, and retconning a little bit. Disney did make Grand Admiral Thrawn, Thrawn rather, um, a real character in their real universe now by making him a villain in the, the um, Star Wars Rebels. He's a very good villain in it. He's Star Wars. I recommend Clone Wars and Rebels. They're both very good animated series in the Star Wars universe. Very enjoyable. Um, it, I think it was to try to first of all, make use of an amazing character that they owned. Like you said, like they had the rights. They could go farming for whatever they want. Um, they they did a little bit with uh, the Kylo Ren character. There is a son of Han and Leia that does become a Sith Lord in the Expanded Universe. So they did pull like some pieces, parts. But Thrawn is the only character that they legitimately went and just kind of plucked out of it and said, you know what? You are canon. Nothing else is. Your whole story before all of that, no. Uh, but you, we are going to use you. The other caveat is The Mandalorian. Did you end up finishing it? I have not finished it. I, okay. Baby Yoda broke my soul with cuteness. He's the fucking it most adorable thing that's ever existed. It me to watch it because it's so cute. And I'm not someone who particularly like likes cute things or I don't know. It just hurts me to watch it. <laughs> like I just want to squeeze him. But I so fundamentally agree with you. It's the most fucking adorable thing that has ever been made. It is traumatizing to me that Disney knows how to create something so cute that it breaks people. Yes. Like it broke the internet. It broke my parents. Like <laughs> Yes. I had my mother what? who my mother is not a Star Wars person. She she was like she's familiar with it. She knows about it from the old stuff and knows about it from like buying me the books when I was a kid and, and you know toys and that kind of stuff. But she's not somebody that's like, hey, let's sit down and watch Star Wars. She bought me a Mandalorian shirt like when the show came out because even she was seeing online like, holy shit, this is the cutest thing and I'm gonna buy you one. like that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter who you were, you know who Baby Yoda is now. Yeah. Um, but the plot, I, I think I found it hard to get into. Like, I didn't love any of the other characters, and it, it's kind of like, oh. I think they're trying to set it up as like a, 
you know, uh, overarching, like, there is some real plot, but it also just felt like all the characters made dumb decisions and then had to just, like, shoot their way out of it, which is only fun for so much time for me. That's true, and I think if you watched the whole season, you might think of it a little differently. But, well, I'll find out, yeah. Yeah, you'll find out. You'll Before the next episode, we'll have you come back and, and give your uh, second half of the season opinion. Sure. What I what I tend to tell people that don't watch it or that want to watch it but want to understand a little bit more, it's much more of Star Wars done in the vein of Star Trek. It is much more serialized. Uh, there's an element of, like, monster of the week to it before it gets into, like, the overarching plot. And that's something that doesn't really get done in Star Wars, aside from, like, watching the Clone Wars and, you know, an animated show, something like that. This is the first live-action Star Wars that wasn't all about fucking Luke Skywalker or his father or his, you know, whatever. This is something where it's like, they're not even talking about the main plot. They're on some random backwater planet doing who knows what, and it doesn't matter at all, but that's this episode. Like, that's something Star Wars has not historically really done, and I think it, it ended up paying off pretty well with with how the season went. I'm excited for season two. That's for sure. No. We'll see. I'll put it on my list. To be honest, I have nothing to watch. I just finished Castlevania, so I'm in. That's on my list. Have you seen the first two? This is no, 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 no. I haven't watched any of it. I've just heard it's amazing. I loved the third season. I thought it was, I think like most shows, right, they get worse, especially when you have a really strong start. So Castlevania had like, it's got a lot of very, um, even, it's a very interesting mix of like East and West because it's in this very like Eastern style, you know, with anime and, and the kind of manga characters and some of the tropes are a little bit more Eastern, I would say. But then they also, they're one of the few shows that I think really does bringing in different cultures and um, different types of people. There's like, in this season, there's like some bisexual characters and like a, like a gay relationship, but it was never done in a way. Like, I think this is one of the ways where Disney fails is I feel like when they put someone in, it's like very specific and you can tell that that person who was like, you know, who with a different skin tone was placed there very specifically for a reason. And I think it was nice to experience a show where like, it wasn't until the very end when I sat down and thought about it. I was like, Oh my God, like all these characters, it's like a huge variety. And they like, yeah, I don't know. That, that was a side note. I'm glad very you brought that show. up. I'm glad you brought that up about Disney specifically because I, I 100% agree. And and I want to use the Rise of Skywalker actually as an example of that. Like they had an Asian character that, di- you know, didn't talk. And they had a black character that, oh, was underutilized. And they had this character, you know, the, the lesbian kiss scene, which is about 0.7 seconds at the end of the movie from two background characters that we barely know who they are. Like they – if they wanted to have that level of representation, they would have made the correct choice, which is to have Finn and Poe be a gay couple. Because I'm going to tell you right now, they're a gay couple whether Disney wants to admit it or not. And they're fucking amazing. Yeah, i got to read some fanfic on that. I, I remember, I thought that's good. the way it was going. I thought that was the way it was going, and you then know, it didn't. 
Oscar Isaac and uh, John Boyega agree with you, and they very much wanted it to really? be. Really? They are both so on board with it that even now, like six months after the movie came, or three months after the movie came out, they post stuff on Instagram and all that, basically toying with fans that you know, because they're they're so on board for it. And That's amazing. I, I didn't Disney know that. Disney dropped the fucking ball again. Disney did a great job with a lot of, like, hundreds of movies and, you know, creating all our childhood cartoons and all, you know, Great, great Mouse Detective. Great fucking job. In the last five years, you've dropped the ball. <laughs> They're going to come after us, though. Ah, uh, they can come after us. Are you ready to talk about a different topic? It's Absolute, absolutely. I am going to... Actually, we didn't start with it, which was our... Uh, before, we do have one crossover topic. Mm-hmm. And that crossover topic is Destiny. I would like you to, to talk first about Destiny, because I 100% know, don't need to guess, we have this down for different reasons. I suspect we do as well. I've been reflecting a lot mm-hmm. on this idea of Destiny, and, you know, this idea of also, like, fate and fortune and, like, what it means to you, or, like, to me, or to anyone, um... And I read a, a book recently called What Remains, and it was quite good um, by Carol. I'm sorry, I don't know how to say her last name, but she was, like, part of the Kennedy family. She married into it, and she talked. She has, like, really beautiful theme throughout this whole memoir about fate and fortune and what it means and how there is some level that you have to get used to of accepting things that happen to you, even though it's maybe not your fault or you don't deserve it or you don't want it. It's not welcome, you know. And it goes both ways, right, like fame and fortune, and it also goes to, like, death and destruction. Sure. Um, fortune and joy. Yeah, and um, it made me think a little bit about, like, destiny in terms of my life. Like, I feel like there are there have been times in my life where I've just, like, gotten lucky, been in the right place at the right time, and I got something that other people coveted. You know, it kind of makes you feel weird because you're like, did I work hard enough for that? And the answer is, yeah, you probably did. Like, you know, no one hands you something for nothing. And then, like, the flip side is sometimes I just, you know, I think I was mentioned on here and to you personally that, like, the last year I, I just had some experiences where, like, things didn't go my way. And they probably could have gone my way with, like, minor adjustments, right. but they did not. Right. And and so there's this feeling that you get where you don't control your own life. The way my field is set up, we basically apply to all these residency programs and then algorithm matches you somewhere. You, if you don't take the spot that they offer you, you cannot reapply for 10 years. <laughs> so everybody, what? yeah, you are, they really discourage you from saying no. <laughs> Oh, I did and, not know that. Yeah, and it was um, kind of hard to see. I had some very, very talented classmates, like incredibly brilliant, like, you know, interviewed at a bunch of places, not get a spot. Right. And then there were other people who didn't get a lot of interviews, kind of weren't as strong students who got spots in really good places. <laughs> and it's kind of that feeling of like, well, that's not. Is it fair? Like, what is fair? Like, you know, was it destined? And, and you know, we all tell each other, like, we'll figure it out. We'll move forward. It just sucks sometimes. You're like, why can't my destiny be easy? Why can't the road be paved? <laughs> but, yeah, it, just, it made me think a little bit about kind of the unknowable things in life and how we have to accept it. And even if you don't want to accept it, it's still coming for you. <laughs> 
Acceptance and that is, is sometimes hard. <laughs> acceptance is absolutely not required. Um, I agree with a lot of, of what you just said there. For me, something that I try really hard not to do is think about or put stock into the concepts of fair or deserved. Because yeah. as much as we want life to be fair and as much as people deserve through hard work and, and through patience and through integrity and, and so many things, people don't get what's fair and people don't get what they deserve. That's just not how this universe that we live in works. And, I, you know, any person of any age really can, can attest to that at this point. Um, there are certainly... You know, I'm not saying don't be a good person. I'm not saying, you know, nearly anything like that. But I'm saying we all know good people that bad things have happened to. We all know bad people that have gotten off or gotten easy street or whatever. I certainly, you know, when you talked about going through life and how much of it is your control and that kind of thing, I have always kind of pictured myself as falling backwards down the path of least resistance. Like I am a lifetime lazy person that has really had a good life despite my lack of like preparation and motivation in those core competencies of like being motivated or knowing what you want to do with your life or working hard in school to you know I got good grades but I didn't work hard for that kind of thing I've always, I've had a tremendous life. I know tremendous people. I've got a great job. I, I make good money. You know, I, I, I know how lucky I am. I know how, you know, especially in a time like this, I, I know that in the, in the whole scheme of, you know, deserve and fair and all of that, my place in it might be murky, especially for a lot of things that have happened in my life. So what I try to focus on more than those concepts or evaluations of, did I deserve this? Did I work hard enough for this? All that. I try to focus more on the other side of it, on the acceptance, on the, okay, I have this. What am I going to go do to show that I deserve it? What am I going to do to prove that I worked hard enough? Really focusing on the, the outcome part of it more so than the process because the process is the past and you can't change the past. So that's that's kind of my take on that and, and where my mentality goes with it because thinking about what you deserve and what you have and trying to compare the two is is to me an exercise in futility and pain. <laughs> that's real life. Yeah. Not alphabetical. Yeah. On on that note, I'm gonna tell you why I put destiny on there. Because uh, it's it's a little bit of a shift. Uh, I am, of course, instead referring to Destiny, or, or more specifically, Destiny 2, uh, the video game from the creators of the original Halo trilogy. I knew it. <laughs> um, this is my conversation, and, and mostly even just a story, about online gaming. Um, I don't do a lot of online gaming. I'm not someone that is... I've never played Fortnite. I know that's popular right now. I've, I've never played Overwatch or League of Legends or any of these, like, massively multiplayer kind of games. Uh, I've dabbled in, like, when I was in college, I tried World of Warcraft because my, my roommate, John, was obsessed with it. He would play it hours and hours and hours every night. He got terrible grades the first year because he was just, he played so much World of Warcraft. Um, it wasn't for me. It was I thought it was boring, and I didn't want to put 12, 12 hours a day 
and my life went to it to get to the. I extreme. feel like there is a medium in that, but that's okay. Keep going. Yeah, there is, and and but you for that kind of like for that kind of game especially, and for Destiny too, uh, you have to delve quite a bit of actual time into it to get to the parts that are the most rewarding. I'm I'm not going to go into explaining the game or the plot or any of that. I, there's just one one thing I really want to talk about. And it, it is actually John Nickel, because I think it's a good a good weird story. When when Destiny came out, uh, I hadn't talked to John. We hadn't we hadn't seen him since after after we graduated, because he didn't he didn't graduate when we did. He I think it was the next year something happened. I don't know I don't know his story, but um, we had lost contact, and he is not the most responsive person in the world. And, and that was true even when I lived six feet from him, uh, let alone wherever he is in the world now. But we did have, from our days in college together, we were friends on Xbox Live. I haven't seen him or talked to him in years. This is probably 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. So uh, like four or five years after we graduated. and Yeah, yeah. yeah John thank just you. stopped talking to us. <laughs> well, I hadn't talked to him probably in three years at that point. 2012 was probably the last time I had talked to him, and then radio silence. Um I saw that he was playing the same game that I was, uh, the, the first one, Destiny, and, uh, me and Joe, my, my friend Joe, who I'm sure will get mentioned probably a couple more times, so I've known for 23 years. We were playing it, and we were playing it with my stepbrother, and one or, like, one of his friends as well, and we were trying to do this, this activity, it was called a raid, that took six people, you needed six people to do this, and a lot of time. And it was, at that point, it was the the hardest thing you could do in that game. There was nothing more difficult than doing this six-person raid. And we were all, you know, we had been playing the game a whole bunch and having a lot of fun with it, and we thought we were hot shit and all that. And uh, we do, we, we try it with, like, two random people or something, and it, it, we spent about an hour, we couldn't even get to the first part of six. Like, it was wow. clear we were awful. Like, not, not just... Because you need to be kind of a team unit, you need to work together, all that kind of stuff. We were shit. And uh, all of a sudden, John pops up on my friends list and sends a message like, hey, you guys doing the raid? Uh, I, me and a buddy of mine, we're looking to do it. And we're like, fuck yeah, we kicked the two random people. John pops in and, and his friend. And we reconnected over the course of like two or three months doing this, uh, but... But my favorite part was we were able to do that raid with them. And it, it was like my favorite gaming experience because it still took us, no joke, seven hours to do this raid. That's the level of like difficulty and time commitment that we had to put in on a Saturday. Uh, my girlfriend at the time was not pleased, but it was, it still is like this momentous thing for me because not only did we do this really hard, really incredibly difficult thing at that time, but, like, it led to us reconnecting, and we were talking, and, we like, it was just good to talk to my friend again. Um, we we did lose touch again after that because he, again, he's a very secretive person. I, I text him probably every six months at this point just saying, like, hey, I hope you're alive, you know, if he even uses the same number. But more I, I think in the mini episode we recorded we brought him up as well but it to me it was like a special like online gaming became slightly more special for me because it was this experience of like reconnecting with with a, a good friend that i hadn't talked to in a number of years and having some really enjoyable times with them uh, and 
that I think is the part of online gaming that doesn't really get a lot of airtime or a lot of discussion in this world yeah. of like esports. Like sixteen year old wins a million dollars at League of, League of Legends tournament. Okay, great. That's that's weird. This was like a really good bonding experience between me and my stepbrother and my two friends and like these other people people that you know we still talk about it we still bring it up even now of like oh shit remember when we finished that in that last moment that was like oh yeah that was amazing like it's it's a, a really positive memory for me and that's what online gaming kind of is for me i don't do it much but when i do i i really get some positive experiences out of it that's such a nice story I feel like oftentimes it's not even that, but I hear mostly negative things about online gaming. It's like, oh, they're spending hours and hours and blah, blah, blah. They don't know how to, like, play outside, obesity, you know, all the things. And I think there are some really positive things. We've talked about this before, the more positive aspects of technology and social media and, like, what it does. Agreed. So that's I just wanted to share, because I know that story is different than what most people would associate with online gaming and that kind of thing. Like, that's... That's what it means to me. It means actually legitimately spending time with your friends, doing a shared activity. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give a more recent example. Um, one of my best friends in the world, Matt, lives in Florida. Uh, you know, I get to see him once a year if I'm lucky, even even then probably less. But, you know, we can hop on a game and play Call of Duty or, whatever, you know, some random game that has online. But we're not, like... We're just talking during it. We're goofing. We're having fun. Like, we're having a good conversation, maybe a drink, maybe, you know, and a lot of laughs, despite or not because of we're playing the game, but the game is what is doing the actual, like, event bonding. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Now, sitting down and playing Fortnite for 20 hours and not, you know, just sucking all your time into it, that's something different. That's more in kind of the the negative aspect or the addictive aspect. But uh, it's not all bad. All right, your turn to pick. I just want to talk a little bit about Dogma. Ooh. I'm, I'm guessing you don't mean the Kevin Smith movie. I do, with Ben Affleck. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I, my God, I'm so fucking excited. I love it so Okay, please. I I just I very much enjoyed that movie. I feel like I saw it, mm, I don't know, it must have been, like, early high school. And it's, like, a very satirical piece, right? Like, And I think it was, like, the first time that I saw something that was clever and satirical and made me think about, like, what is it actually that we're tr- that they're trying to say? You know, what is it, like, what does it mean in, like, in society when they're doing these things? You're right. It's, like, kind of ridiculous. Um, and honestly, like, I probably should have Googled the plot. I only have some, like, general recollection of it. But I just remember, like, a lot of positive experiences and, like, liking the kind of, feminine power in it and liking Ben Affleck in it. Um, and I think that that movie kind of led me down a path to find other similar literature. So one of my favorite books in the world is Good Omens uh, wow. by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And I felt like, and I think it all kind of relates into this like religious satirical sort of situation. How dare um, you? I know. How dare you satirize it. religion? I love it. It's so interesting to me. I think I love the con. I like, I like people. I I like like the contradictory nature of people. And I think it, it, the the way we most often no how do I say this? It is easy to see the contradictions in people in when they discuss religion or when they act out 
when they are involved in it more so. Um, and I think I just like, like that very human aspect and like good omens is my favorite, one of my favorite books and dogma. It's just, like I said, it, I think like I was a very sheltered kid. And so the most I got out kind of for these experiences was mostly through reading and then for movies and, in all honesty, not much of a movie person. I didn't watch a lot of TV shows back then. Um, so yeah, Total opposites. One hundred percent opposite. I know, uh, but it was just—it was a great movie. I enjoyed it. I don't know if anyone still watches it. It was like pretty big when I was. Younger. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of Kevin Smith's most popular movies. Um, it's a great. I I have nothing to put in other than it's a great movie. It's you know, uh, Alanis Morissette is great in it. Uh, She's um, great in it, and also uh, her brother George Carlin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Alan Rickman, come on, yeah, he's amazing in everything he he's ever done. It. Oh my god, I forgot he was in it. He's an amazing character. He is. Uh, he's, maybe he's I should the best character it. in the whole movie. Yeah. Oh man, that movie's so good. I've been after you watch it. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, no, I, I have nothing to add other than I, I agree. It's phenomenal. I, I love that movie. I saw it when it came out with my dad. And uh, it's, I mean, even now, I, I don't think I've watched it in 10 years. And I can still think of a lot of things from that movie that are absolutely amazing. Like Buddy Christ. And like, yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. I, I agree. And not to knock, like, not to knock religion in the way of, you know, oh, religious no. people or anything like that. No, no, the actual organization of religion and, that, you know, the the dogma. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a pretty yeah. good title. Um, no, I, I, it's it's great. And I want to say I have not read Good Omens. I should have read Good Omens. I did see you the show. Oh, I like, no. I like the show a lot, not going to lie. Because if you give me Michael Sheen and David Tennant in literally anything, they could be doing a war and peace reenactment for me, and they would have my rapt attention, because I love both of them. But I have heard from reputable sources, such as yourself, that the book is obviously far better, because it's from two incredible authors. I actually haven't seen the show. Um, some people no, told me to watch it. Yeah. I, I, I think I might. I think I wanted to, like, reread it. I haven't re- reread it in a couple years, but um, I actually, I've never, I've read a couple things by Neil Gaiman, but Good Omens is still my favorite. And then Terry Pratchett, I do, like, a lot of Terry Pratchett, but that's just me. Neil Gaiman wrote one of the best, and I'm going to I'm gonna burn one of my topics here, because it's, it's a quick one anyway. Neil Gaiman wrote one of the best episodes of Doctor Who that was ever made. Um in which this planet basically tricks the doctor into coming into its universe and then knocks the the like soul of his TARDIS, which is his, his craft that's kind of like a sentient thing, um, into a human body. So he gets to actually, for the first time, interact with his ship, but as a person, and it, it's amazing. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll, it, it's... It's a novel in a 50-minute episode of a show, and, and it's really incredible. And that was just what he can do writing for a, a TV show. Um, I'm, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. That, that could be a rich topic. I'm not going to discuss much of it here. Uh, how how deep are you or how familiar are you with Doctor Who? I know the premise. Okay. I tried to watch it in college, but just like couldn't get into the acting or plot. <laughs> 
see see previous comments about David Tennant for me. Um, <laughs> he is my doctor, and he is the oh, man. he's your who? <laughs> oh, he's my who. Uh, he, I mean, if he wants to be my who, he can be my who. <laughs> uh, there, there's no no question there. He's on the man crush list for mm-hmm. sure. Him and Nathan Fillion have primo placement up there. Yeah, no, um, I can get that. I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. I just, I, I will say the most recent Doctor, um, Jodie Whittaker, I like her. I don't like the, the arc of the show or the, the writing is preachy. It, some of the companion characters are, uh, not my favorite. It, it's lost a certain something that it had previously, which I know is a, you know, People think that, oh, it's the first female doctor, so now everybody is going to hate that kind of thing. No, I think she was a great choice. I think that a new creator took over the show when she became the doctor, and and I don't like the direction that he kind of put on a lot of it or some of the writing, but that's a conversation for a different podcast. Is it kind of like what we were talking about before with um, this the thing where they try too hard to make it diverse and politically correct, and then it almost, like, loses the things that make it interesting. Um, there's literally an episode where because there's so much plastic on the planet Earth, the humans are going to die. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. That is not an oversimplification. That is literally the plot. There's <laughs> something that eats plastic that wants to eat the Earth because there's so much plastic in the ocean. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, it, it gets pretty, pretty preachy in a lot of places. Yeah. But that's okay. Uh, this, this, will be a, this will probably be a quick one. Have you read Dune? Yeah. What do you think of Dune? I read the first book in the Dune series. I liked it a lot. It's a very, like, philosophical sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. It's so quotable. I feel like it was one of those books where, like, you just want to, like, highlight every sentence because fear is the mind killer i know i love it it's so good and like i just feel like it has philosophy it made you think and you really reflect but then i just didn't need any more so i just only read the first book okay yeah i i liked it a lot and i was like no more of this i'm really glad you said that and i I, that makes a lot of sense to me um i put it on here because it's the first book i mean it's called dune so i'll just call it dune um, it's one of the best books I've ever read. It, yeah, to me, I get it's, that. Yeah. It is, it's got sociology and philosophy and political and like militaristic and cultural, you know, deep dives somehow in this crazy fucking sci-fi fantasy novel that this dude came up with. Um, they are making a movie of it that's supposed to come out later this year. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's the same director that did um, Blade Runner 2049, which okay. was a gore- absolutely gorgeous movie. I mean, yeah. the visuals and, and sound alone from that movie were phenomenal. The cast is fucking buck wild. I'm not even gonna, I, I don't even want to spoil it because the cast is <laughs> so good. Um, I'll just give you I'll give you one. Timothy Chalamet is Paul Atreides. Ooh, that's a good choice. Yeah, and he's not even the best pick in the bunch. Oh, like, shit. this is a star-studded A-plus cast. So I'm real fucking excited for that. But I am going to stick to the book, because I, I don't. I could talk for an hour about the movie that came out in, the, I think it was the 80s, maybe the yeah, 80s, okay. Lynch. Um, I love it. Most people hate it. It's like, 
my understanding, like, when I think about what it must be like to drop acid, I've never done so, uh, it's watching that movie. Like, it's a fucking crazy movie. And, and <laughs> like, Salvador Dali was brought in as a consultant on that movie, and then they didn't use because he was supposed to be a part of another Dune movie that never got made. And, like, it's there's a whole, I think there's a whole, literally a documentary on the Dune movie that didn't get made, and then the one that did get made. But I'm going to talk about the books. So the first book, phenomenal. One of the best books I've ever read. It is a natural stopping point for a lot of people. If you're not a big reader, if you're not a big sci-fi person, any of that, still reading Dune is amazing. But then stopping makes sense. Then there is another stopping point after the fourth Dune book. For me personally, books one through four are... A cohesive unit, much in the way of, like, to, to use a Star Wars example, Star Wars original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like, A New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi is a cohesive unit for me that they exist together. They are amazing. Mm-hmm. Dune 1 through 4 for me are a cohesive unit. It is a cohesive, you know, the characters, the plot threads, everything goes in between them, and it has a natural stopping point at the end of it. Mm-hmm. The problem is, that the author, Frank Herbert, wrote another two books after that. And then he died with a massive cliffhanger at the end of that sixth book. So then his son and a author named, uh, sci-fi author named Kevin J. Anderson, who wrote some of the shittier Star Wars uh, Expanded Universe novels, they came together, used his father's notes for what was going to be the final book, and wrote two more books being that finale. So all in all, it's an eight-book series. There are four. There are there are three natural stopping points. Book one, if you want to stop at that, great. You've read one of the a, a classic, an absolute literary classic. I also I don't understand why I don't see it more on like literary classics sort of list because I think it's like shoved into like only sci-fi people like that. But it's not. I don't think I think it does. It's so much more than that, like you're saying. There is, I mean, if you can do the suspension of disbelief and just believe, you know, this is a different universe, this is a different planet, the, you know, they have different lives and different technology and things like that. If you can buy that part of it, then it, I mean, that's the only part of it that is outside of a, a, any other literary classic, like um, uh, Catcher in the Raw. I don't know. But it, I, I mean, uh, it's still like that deep dive into the psyche, and like it's got elements of like it's very human, that's not Gerald. Yeah. And it, no, yeah. yes, it's very human. Yeah. Uh, but so, if you are someone that likes sci-fi and fantasy, I recommend reading books one through four. Stop at book one. You've still, like I said, read a classic. If you're gonna go past book four, you have to read all eight. And let me tell you, seven and eight are kind of some big stinkers. <laughs> But six ends on such a cliffhanger and is so buck wild and weird that you don't want to end even where the main author died because it's like, okay, you know, I, I need some sort of culmination of any of this for any of this to be worth it. I need to read this. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a dude for me. Okay. I will talk to you about dreams. Ooh, love a good dream. Um, now, remember, we did delve into this a little bit with Kevin and Kyle in the precursor episode to this one. Ooh, I don't remember totally what I said. Um, oh, yeah. So 
I am curious, do you put any stock into dreams? What do you think dreams are for you? Oh, man, I have always known for myself that dreams are manifestations of my anxiety. Mm, okay. It just It's always lined up too well, even when I was young, with anxieties that I had. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like having an enemy inside your head sometimes that knows your every thought. That's just better. <laughs> Not only knows your thoughts, it can counteract you at every move, and it's always yeah. going to beat you. Yes. Yeah. Um, every now and then I have a dream that's, like, prophetic in some ways, and it makes me think. It, it Because I think dreams are almost like, look at the way you think of, like, computers, Right. So you are filtering, like, a ton of information into your brain, but you're only, like, consciously, like, acknowledging some of it, right? Like, because otherwise you go crazy, and that's, like, some of the problems that people with, like, autism has or other sensory disorders is they can't filter out the noise, so it can become so overwhelming. Um, But I think, like, sometimes for me, dreams, it's, like, whatever's happening in the, like, and and same with, like, intuition, Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you have like some part of your brain that's like, hmm, let me put this together and like think about it. And sometimes it comes out in dreams. But actually, the day before I found out where I was going for residency, I had a dream, and about you know, it was like, oh, you're going to this place, and I, it wasn't a place that was necessarily I thought I was going to. It was not on my radar. I was like, well. It wasn't the front runner, that's for sure. It wasn't the front, which is not a big deal. Um, well, not even, I don't even mean in the rankings, it, I mean in the likelihood. Yeah, it just, like, wasn't, it didn't seem likely based on, like, the feedback I had gotten and the vibe when I was there and, you know, that kind of thing. And how Case has, like, the ownership of your soul somehow yeah. for the last decade. Yeah, it, it just seemed, like, much more likely that, that I would, ha- like, end up somewhere else and... I had this dream, and I was like, that was so strange. And I texted my friend that morning, and I was like, yeah, I had this, like, strange dream that I matched at this place. And she was like, oh, is that your top choice? I was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, it's most likely I'm going to end up, like, somewhere else. You know, blah, blah, blah. I was telling her about, like, the likely place I was going to end up. And then it ended up being this place, and it was so weird. And I'm sure, you know, like, and like, this has happened to me a few times before, and, like, where you I dreamt something or thought something, and then it happens. And like I said, I think some of this has like you're predicting based on the information given to you. Sure. Your brain's um, running an algorithm you don't necessarily know about. Exactly. But that one was very strange because my it was not what my instinct had told me. <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and uh, it kind of freaked me out. I'm not going to lie. I was like, that's weird. But on the plus side, I had like an extra few hours to process. <laughs> <laughs> what was happening. I mean, that that is a silver lining, right? Uh, in some ways. But, um, no, I did match into residency. I'm very happy. It's, you know, I, I lucked out. Um, but it was it was just a weird moment where, you know, I think any time you have a mismatch of expectations, we're like, oh, I did that. Like, I had, like, calculated, you know, and thought about, oh, if I end up here, like, where I'll live and, like, you know, all my friends in that area. And this place I didn't even put on the list because I thought it was so unlikely. Right. No, no, I, I know. <laughs> and we especially talked about I was convinced you were going to stay here in Cleveland and you were going to be at Case basically for the I rest also, of your life. I also thought I was going to end up staying in Cleveland, um, but that it's it's fine. I've broken, the, I've broken out of the Cleveland bubble. Yeah. Although, to be fair, you did uh, break out of the bubble once before only to get sucked back into it. 
Um, so in three years, we'll see you back here in Cleveland, Malavika? Honestly, there's, I want to do further training after residency, and there's two programs in Cleveland, and I also feel like I'm going to end up back. We'll see. We'll see what the intuition is when I'm leaving, because last time when I left, there was a point I was driving down 71, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to come back here. Like, the way I'm leaving this, it doesn't feel like it's over. <laughs> three years later, I was back here. So we'll see how it feels when I leave now. Maybe I finally have broken out of Cleveland, and now I'll just be fond memory and visiting times with you and other uh, friends. I don't know. I think uh, when, let's see, three years, I'll add an, another year onto that just in case. You could be married, and you could have a kid at that point. And, you know, Cleveland's not the worst place. No, I'm not going to do a sales pitch for Cleveland. Everybody knows what the fuck Cleveland is. But uh, I think that it's been good having you here as long as you've been here. But I don't think it's going to be a bad thing for you to be somewhere else for a little while. Yeah, I think it's going to be all right. Yeah, agreed. But, yeah, the whole dream thing kind of freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think like a lot of times people say or I'll say like, oh, yeah, I did think that or like maybe I had some like, you know, weird deja vu feeling about it. But like at this time it was like I like texted my friend and we like talked about it and I like scrolled up to look at the conversation and it's like all right there. It was like <laughs> hours before I even knew anything. Like, I mean, that's that's actually kind of awesome. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Hey, everyone. This is your favorite non-doctor host of this podcast, Nick. Um, I will say that you have now reached the end of this episode. And the reason you're only hearing me is because we had so much fun making this far into the episode that Malavika then had a heart attack, and then we had to record another day, and then some other stuff happened. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we ended up recording more on a second day, but I was so excited and I had so many topics, as you'll eventually hear, it was enough for a whole other episode. So this is the end of episode D1. Uh, now you will get the rest of the topics that we had for the letter D in the following episode. Um, so thanks for listening.